The New Age Christianity Podcast is brought to you by... Hello, New Age Christian family. This is Austin Fletcher. You're listening to the New Age Christian Podcast, and this is episode number 15. Today, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, or if you like to be more personal, we're going to talk about Holy Spirit, the person. So have you ever wondered why it took so many thousands of years before God, quote unquote, gave us the Holy Spirit? You know, it's in the scriptures, he's called the promised Holy Spirit, and it's not until after the cross that the day of Pentecost comes and humanity receives this gift. What does that even mean? Why did it take so long for us to get the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? How do we engage with the Holy Spirit? Is it some mystery or skill that you have to learn? Is it something that only gifted people receive? There are so many questions about this reality in our experience, and I am really looking forward to talking to you about it today. Well, hello. I hope you guys are doing well today as you're listening to this podcast, maybe in your car or at work. I always appreciate your time. I appreciate you putting my voice in your ears, or if you're watching on YouTube, gathered around with uh, some Bible study friends or whatever, it's, it's an honor to have the opportunity to be heard. And uh, thank you so much. I hope that these perspectives on New Age Christianity, and I hope, and the ideas, even the political ones, or the the ones that maybe aren't so biblical or Bible-based, um, I hope they bless you. I hope they challenge you and that these ideas help usher in the coming age of humanity. That is the goal. So I got to be honest, you know, the last age humanity stepped into that this season, 2,000 years ago, the last age really was marked by the bringing of the Holy Spirit. And in all honesty, there's so much confusion about what happened 2,000 years ago on that day when the Holy Spirit was given to humanity. I don't know if we're ready for the coming age until we fully unpack what the last one was about. So there's been some events recently in my life and in the lives of those around me that have brought to the forefront the question, who, what, when, where, why, how, all of that stuff. Who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Is it a person? Is it a thing? Is Is it an idea? Is it a gift? Is it something that, you know, as I asked in the intro, there's so many questions, you know, do only special people get it? Do you have to be a Christian to have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit some, um, I don't know, skill set to be unlocked and learned? And, I don't know. It depends on where you go in the world of Christianity. It depends on which denomination you go to. The Holy Spirit plays different roles. If you go to, you know, non-charismatic denominations, you will find that the Holy Spirit is a seal and a quote-unquote approval or almost like a contract concept, right? And that you have the Spirit of God within you, but it's not very personable. It's not very actionable. And then you go to the charismatic world where the, the Holy Spirit is, I've, I've personally kind of come to adopt it as removing the in front of it and just calling him or her or it, calling it Holy Spirit as a person, like a name. I don't call you, you know, nobody calls me the Austin. You know, they call me Austin because that is my name. And when you put the in front of it, it's like saying the Jesus, <laughs> You know, it's either a person or it's not. And when we put the Holy Spirit around it, to me, it it does create a particular energy that it depersonifies it. And while there is validity to that, it is interesting to see the dynamics. If you start calling it Holy Spirit as a name, 
I believe there's some benefit to personifying that energy, that idea, that presence in your life. So I could go for hours and hours on this subject. And the events in my life that have kind of brought this to the forefront have really been, I personally have had a perspective of Holy Spirit for a while, that maybe two, three years, that has made it very simple. It's a very simple idea. It's a very concrete idea. It's not this nebulous cloud of unknowing, right? Even some of those, you know, some great healers or prophets in the modern charismatic movement, if you get them to teach on what the Holy Spirit is or who the Holy Spirit is, you get these really nebulous answers that make it really difficult to relate to, right? You know, and I've I've not heard, I'll use an example of somebody like Sean Bowles, who's very popular with the Bethel crowd and is prophetically, I mean, it's pretty amazing. And I've never heard him talk on the Holy Spirit or teach on the Holy Spirit. But somebody like that who has this prophetic relationship with Holy Spirit and the ability to call out, literally call out your address or the, the street name that you grew up on as a kid and and bring a prophetic message through that. You know, that seems, one, it's really amazing, but it also kind of makes the Holy Spirit dynamic that he walks in, it makes it really unapproachable for a lot of people. The idea that, I well, I don't have that gift, I'll never have that gift. And so a lot of the teaching on the Holy Spirit that I have found and that I have seen makes the Holy Spirit very unattainable for the average everyday person. The person who doesn't feel called to change the world or take on the devil or, you know, re revisit all of the seven mountains of the kingdom of God and blah, 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 right? This is all this, these really big ideas that people like myself, we naturally approach and we, and, and I, I love the idea of taking over the world. And so when I look at somebody like Sean Bowles, who prophesies that way, I, I take it as a challenge and I take it as something that I want to aspire to. And I did for years, but I realized that 95%, 90, 95% of Christians, 95% of people just want to live a good life and, and enjoy their family and, and have a good job. And, and that's a beautiful thing. I mean, scripture even, Paul even talks about that that's what we should aspire to unless we're called to something more. And in that, it really makes this Holy Spirit dynamic that somebody like Sean Bowles walks in really, as I said, unapproachable. It's, it's almost, well, the Holy Spirit must not be for me because I don't have the time, the drive, the passion, the gifting, fill in the blank. So in this episode, I want to make the Holy Spirit approachable if I can, because you're walking in the Holy Spirit every day, whether you know it or not. People in my life that I have been going through some experiences with lately, uh, it became evident that these viewpoints that I hold of the Holy Spirit and who and what it, he, she is, I thought that these people who were close to me also had that same perspective. And I realized, oh my goodness, no, this is not a perspective that that uh, is easily understood by most people because we have so much bullcrap to unpack from the past. We do have all of these perspectives about God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus, Father, the Bible, everything. And and I just kind of take for granted sometimes that I have morphed and be, and found a way to understand things that I haven't really shared yet. So here we are. I'm going to share on the Holy Spirit. I never have to this level before. And I am kind of excited to hear what comes out of my own mouth because it's, uh, it's, it's really the first time I've talked on this, uh, uh, to this extent all about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, I am, I say, we just get started. Yeah. So there's really three kind of overarching ideas I want to discuss regarding the Holy Spirit today. One big one is why the heck did it take thousands of years for God to give us the Holy Spirit, if having the Holy Spirit is such a big deal, right? There's this kind of under art, underpinning idea that God has been holding out on us, and that, well, we really need the Holy Spirit. He's a really big deal. He's really vital to the experience of being human and becoming who we need to become, but we don't get it until it's time, 
it's kind of like there's pieces of truth in that. And there's also a whole bunch of bull crap in that. Like seriously, God's holding out on us. And I would just right out of the gate, like what if you flipped the idea that instead of God was holding out on us, we were holding out on getting that reality, that identity that was available to us from the beginning because we weren't ready for it. Now, that's one idea, and I'm going to unpack that a bit. Another one is, so the Holy Spirit is personified throughout the Scripture in different ways, but one of the ways that I absolutely believe he's personified is as the white stone. And it's the white stone that is given in the book of Revelation with a a new name on it that no man knows except him who receives it. And I'm going to unpack that a bit. And honestly, there's a relationship there of the white stone and the black stone with the Urim and the Thinnim between the Holy Spirit and Satan. And then last but not least is some practical application. Because all of this sounds well and good, and unpacking the Holy Spirit for Bible thumpers is great. But what if you're not a Bible thumper and all that doesn't interest you? To be honest, there is some really great simple practical application that I believe I can give you, and I hope it helps. So, why was the Holy Spirit held back until after the cross? If you have never really heard me talk about the cross or talk about Jesus, I did do an episode on Jesus. I think it was episode number four. I'd encourage you to go back. You also may want to listen to the episode on Satan, uh, which was a few episodes. I think that was maybe number nine or ten. There are some foundational ideas that I'm going to assume you have already heard, so I don't have to make this thing two hours instead of 45 minutes. The cross was an idea. I'm not saying it didn't really happen. I'm not saying Jesus wasn't real and that he didn't die on the cross. I absolutely believe he did, because if you've listened to the teaching on Jesus and logic, he actually, logic had to become flesh. Flesh had to become death and sin and decay, and all the things that are that the I am not represents. Jesus, there was no, there's, it's non-optional. If he's going to be the Logos, he has to be both life and death, light and dark, sin and righteousness, spirit and matter. He has to be all those things. So yes, Jesus came. Yes, the cross was real. But I do not believe that the cross was an angry, sin-remembering father, whose the only way he could forgive you was to murder our older brother, Jesus. That uh, idea of substitutionary atonement is, to me, the most bass-ackwards idea in the church, that a loving father murdered Jesus just so he could be happy with you. I even wrote an article, a a series of articles called Drunk Daddy God. They're on the website, newagechristianity.org, if you want to go read those. And uh, it just kind of really rephrases the idea of substitutionary atonement and makes it stand out as literally how, how ridiculous that idea is. So if God didn't need Jesus to die, and logic needed to die for the sake of something bigger, what is it that we're putting our faith in? Because most of us aren't putting our faith in the reality of logic being death, right? That's, that's philosophically fancy, Say that five times fast. It's philosophically fancy, but it's not really deep and meaningful that the way the cross is often felt and portrayed. And the reason is, is because Jesus knew that everything comes down to faith. Everything comes down to what we believe. And the cross is no exception. I believe the cross and Jesus's genius reality in it was that he was planting the seed of an idea into the mind of humanity. And that seed has grown into a massive, massive tree, just like the parable of the mustard seed that grows into a tree. That idea of the cross is a virus and was 2,000 years ago, if you realize where mankind's mindset was. The idea of God was this big, other, over there, judgmental, I don't know, it's kind of that Zeus on Mount Olympus idea that God was was very distant and he was very unapproachable and very scary. And Jesus comes and says, no, this is what the Father's really like. He's loving and he wants to heal you and he wants to be close to you and he forgives you. 
And the cross was the culmination of that idea that you and God are together again. So the cross, and, and, and by the way, if you don't know the definition of forgiveness in the true root of the Greek concept and even the Hebraic concept of forgiveness, we have this idea that forgiveness is almost like being acquitted of a crime, right? You go to court and you have a list of crimes and then you get acquitted and therefore that is you've been forgiven by the court. That's actually a very uh, poor excuse for a definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness is actually the restoration of relationship. So that when somebody offends you, you're not acquitting them of the offense. The offense is what it is. What you're doing is you're forgiving so that the relationship can be restored. So forgiveness is not about the sin, it's about the relationship. And that the cross brought forgiveness to humanity is absolutely the core idea that humanity and God are connected once again. Now, this is really important because it's not until after this idea gets delivered to us that humanity gets the Holy Spirit. So let me ask you, if this moment of the cross is the thing that allows the Holy Spirit to come into humanity, do you think there might be a correlation (laughs) to what the idea of the cross really was? I believe so in that the Holy Spirit at its core is the idea that God is in you and that you are in God. And the Holy Spirit is your relationship with God. Now, this can get Imagine, if you will, God as the universal mind and everything, every conscious reality. And if, if you can see, you know, in your mind's eye, imagine this, this sea of consciousness known as God. And every thought that's ever been thought or ever will be thought is framed in that sea of consciousness. But you, as an individual, I'll speak for myself, Austin, as an individual, is an individual expression of that consciousness, that I am a body, one of the members, the many-membered body. I am a member of the body, the physical expression of God, and therefore my consciousness is not, it's, if the sea of consciousness is an infinite number of drops of water, I am one drop of water that has become known as an expression of God known as Austin. Okay. So you have this sea of consciousness known as God, and you've got Austin's consciousness known as Austin. How do you describe this massive sea of consciousness flowing through a single individual? We have come to call that relationship, that flow, we have come to know that as the Holy Spirit. Now, let me reverse the statement. The Holy Spirit is, quote-unquote, nothing more than than God's consciousness in you. The Holy Spirit is your I amness. The Holy Spirit is your connection to God. Okay. So I'm going to kind of let that sit there and I'm going to keep going. And and I believe that there's, I'm, I'm just believing that this will begin to make sense. And that God in you, i.e. that the Holy Spirit, that Holy Spirit will begin to kind of give you some thoughts to meditate on. So the reason we couldn't get the Holy Spirit until after the cross was because the cross opened up an idea that we were connected to God again. In that is to me the major proof that the Holy Spirit is the very belief that we are connected to God and therefore the string, if you the, the drop that connects us to the bigger picture of who God is, is given a name. Because I have my consciousness, my name is Austin, and God has his consciousness, his name is God. But how do you, what do you call the relationship in between those two? That's called the Holy Spirit. So, Throughout the Old Testament, and if you've listened to the teaching on Satan, you will realize that I, I don't believe 
in the same way I don't believe that Satan is an external fallen angel being, the same way I don't believe that the Holy Spirit is an external being of its of its own making. Um, and and the best way I can say is this, that the Urim and the Thinim, the white stone and the black stone, that the high priest carried inside of their ephod, which is a fancy way of saying pocket, inside his pocket, the high priest carried a white stone and a black stone that were the same size, the same shape, they were both smooth. And that's how they would judge Israel when, when you know, to, a simple, you know, is Austin guilty or innocent? Reach into the pocket, pull out a white stone, you know, or it's really a yes or no question. So is Austin innocent? If the, if the white stone comes out, then the answer is yes, he's innocent. If the black stone comes out, it is not innocent, right? So you, in the white stone and the black stone, you have the personification of judgment, and you have the personification of logic, yes and no, and you also have the personification of I am and I am not. And so Satan is the black stone. And I think I've said this on the episode, I know I've said this to people that are close to my life, that Satan is the black stone and that the Holy Spirit is the white stone. But if you back, if you go back and you kind of reverse engineer everything I've said about Satan, go listen to that episode and it will shed so much light on what I'm saying about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit in you is the antithesis it's of Satan. So Satan is the I am not inside of you, and the Holy Spirit is the I am inside of you. And together, they frame the fullness of logic. And that Satan or the opponent or the I am not, and the Holy Spirit and the white stone or the I am, those together form the yin and the yang, the Urim and the Thinim, by the way, the Hebrew translation for Urim and Thinim is lights and perfections, or the light and the perfecter. Okay? So literally, the white stone is the light, and the black stone is the perfecter. And and it says, I believe it's Isaiah, or maybe Ezekiel, where uh, Satan is called the blacksmith that is meant to forge you into who you need to become, so that Literally, the I am not, all of the things that you hear yourself inside your own mind, the ideas of the things you are not, are meant to perfect you. And when you get to the book of Revelation, and it's Revelation 2.17, I'm going to just read it real quick. It says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will give him some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone. And a new name written on the stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. That is the Holy Spirit. Namely, that is the name of I am. So if you unpack, this is a name that only he who receives it can know. So let's just think about the name I am. Right? I've mentioned this on previous episodes, but... I am is the only name in existence that you can never ascribe to somebody else. I can't be in a conversation with you and introducing you to a third party, my friend, and saying, oh, this is my buddy, I am, right? Because the moment I say that name, by the laws of language, I'm talking about myself. I cannot give you your I am-ness. Only you can receive it. Nobody can give it to you. Only you can receive it. Not even God can give you your I amness. You have to take it. Kind of sounds a whole lot like what the cross was about. That Jesus can't give you forgiveness. You have to take it. He can make it possible. He can put it in front of you. But if you don't take this idea into yourself, it does you no good. It's the same with your identity of your I amness. And what is our I amness, by the way? The, the, the number one confession that the world is waiting for, that creation is groaning for, is that humanity is the body of God. I am God. 
let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And then there's more to that about humbling yourself and becoming found in the form of a servant, which is definitely needs to be more of a, a discipleship. <laughs> there's no way that can be done in a podcast, but I digress. Point being is that the Holy Spirit, the white stone, that name that is given to us is only something that we can receive because it cannot forcibly be given. And so the I amness in you is your ability to realize your identity and its connection to God himself. That's why it is the spirit of the Lord in you, right? That it is God in you. Now, here's the thing. Satan is the same thing as your I am notness. That your I am notness and its connection to the divine. So, have you ever wondered why people who begin to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, you notice it doesn't just show up out of nowhere. It's always a requirement when you begin to operate in power. And if, you, and if you're coming from a more traditional less charismatic background, I apologize, this may not be very familiar to you, or if you're not coming from a Christian background at all. But I came from kind of a Baptist, Bible-thumping, non-denominational background, and I saw ideas in Scripture about speaking in tongues or healing people or walking on water, and I saw these things, and I, and I believed they were possible for today. And a lot of the people surrounding me said, no, no, that's, that doesn't happen, and blah, blah, blah. Well, I believe they were possible. And I began to study and, and learn how it is that people operate in the Holy Spirit. How does Sean Bowles literally read your mail? <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen some of this stuff, look him up. I mean, how does, how does Todd White operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so many people around the Bethel community. There's so many people around. I love Kirby Delanerill and his community, Wow Church out of Sri Lanka. I mean, there's a lot of people operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you go ask any of them, you will find that the prerequisite for operating in any gift of the Holy Spirit is that you have to believe it first. It will not force itself upon you You do not accidentally walk up to people and heal the lame or raise the dead. Like you have to believe it first. Why? Because it's your I amness. Isn't it amazing that people who believe they can heal the dead begin to heal the dead, raise the dead, begin to raise the dead. People who believe they can heal the sick begin to heal the sick. People who believe they can talk in tongues talk in tongues. People who believe that they have a purpose in life have a purpose in life. People who believe that they matter, matter. And the people who believe they don't matter, they get what they're believing. The people who believe they don't have a purpose, they get what they're believing. Why? Because God is 100% unadulterated creative power. You cannot God cannot, we cannot uncreate. We can create destruction or we can create life, but either way, it's always forward moving and it's always creation. And so if your connection to God has measures of your I am notness, I am not a healer, I am not powerful, I do not have a purpose, then God, through Satan, through the opponent, through the perfecter, will manifest that reality in your life because that is your identity. Your identity is I am not. And God is simply always reinforcing your beliefs. He is empowering your beliefs. God is, think of it like electricity and you are the switch. And if you want the room to be dark, then you leave the switch off that it is not on. I am not. If you want the room to be light, you have to turn the switch on. You are the one turning the switch. God is simply the electricity, always manifesting what it is that you're choosing to believe. And so, in that, now there is a higher form of that where you begin to engage with God on what it is you should and should not manifest, which switches you should and should not flip. But that's that's a higher version of this conversation. 
at the very base level of this conversation, the reason that you're getting the life you're getting is because it's the life you're believing for. Whether it's powerful or powerless, you're getting your identity, your connection to God via your I amness or your I am notness. Now, here's a little have you ever thought about the fact like I am and I am not? Both begin with I am. The other one just adds the word not. It's because even your I am notness is your I amness. You could play that one back. It's it's a bit of a of a tongue twister or a men, um, um, a mind twister, if you will. But you are always creating your identity, and that the Holy Spirit is God in you. The idea that you are an extension of God and that you can do the things of God. And that the more that grows in you, the more that white stone begins to become your daily reality. So, Satan is the black stone. The Holy Spirit is the white stone. By the way, this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's one tree. It is logic that frames everything and logic is Christ. So that's why in Genesis 3.22, after Adam and Eve have eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, of the knowledge of Satan and the Holy Spirit, of the knowledge of I am and I am not, Genesis 3.22 says, now man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Well, which one of the Trinity is that? It's Jesus. It's logic. We have put on the we put on the mind of Christ in the negative all the way back in the garden. And then it wasn't until quote unquote four thousand years later that we put on the mind of Christ in the positive after the cross. That we are creating light as opposed to creating darkness. So that Satan is the black stone, Holy Spirit is the white stone. Together, they make the yin and the yang, and the yin and the yang as a whole is Jesus himself, is logic itself. That's why the necklace I wear is I wear a yin and yang necklace, not because I'm, you know, uh, of a different religion, but because that has become the personification of Jesus. That's my version of wearing a cross these days. So, the lights and perfections of the Urim and the Thinim ultimately the goal is to become like Revelation, where all that remains is your I amness. Because you're so one with your identity with God, as God, as the body of God, that there's no hint of the I am notness. And that is a work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Now, if you start replaying a lot of these discussions in your mind, about the things that people have told you about the Holy Spirit, you'll begin to realize something. And I'm, I'm getting into the practical application now. You're going to begin to realize the Holy Spirit and Satan, either or. They're simply the divine manifestation of your identity. And so when you re-examine the whole, you know, what well, the Holy Spirit needs to do the work in me and the Holy Spirit needs to do this and the Holy Spirit needs to do that, what you're really saying is, is I, I am... As a divine expression of God, I am learning how to do this. I need to, I need to figure this out. I need to figure that out. And then same with Satan. Well, Satan is hindering me from that, or Satan is hindering me from this. If you understand the law of attraction, you understand the law of vibration, you really understand that it's really you, your I am notness is keeping you from being wealthy. Your I am notness is keeping you from having a purpose. And so to the best of my ability, I want to unpack just the daily experience of the mind that you have inside you. By the way, your brain <laughs> is not your mind, right? Your mind, what I mean is, it's that part of you that can, you know, I did the exercise a, a few weeks ago on a podcast, you know, close your eyes and say your name silently to yourself. I am Austin. And then ask the question, who said that? And then do it again. Close your eyes. Say your name to yourself. I am Austin. And then ask, who's the one that's hearing that? Because in your head, somebody's saying it and somebody's hearing it. And then do it again. 
I am Austin. And then that third time, ask, who's the one observing this conversation? You've got somebody saying it, somebody hearing it, and you're also watching, you're observing yourself. And then, if you really want to bake your noodle, realize that you just observed your observation. So who's observing the observer? <laughs> and that is your I am. So, you know, honestly, I, I just went, I bowled through that really fast. But if you've never done that exercise, do it. Take your time, say your name to yourself, ask the, in this order, who said that, who, who's listening, who's observing, and then who's observing the observer. Because you realize that your mind is way bigger than your brain. Right? Your mind can put yourself anywhere, can think of anything, and can be inside of t- outside of time and space. It is the very substance of spirit. Your mind is what goes on when your body ceases. It is your consciousness. It is your identity. And so every day you live and breathe and you engage with life through a sense of identity. Things are presented to you. Circumstances are presented to you. And whether you believe something or not believe or don't believe something determines how you react to everything, right? If you saw some human fly by your window and it was, there was no doubt. It wasn't like just some flash, like, well, that was weird. But you saw it like with your, with your waking eyes very clearly that a human just flew by your window. It is what you believe that will determine your reaction. It is the construct of your identity and your place in the world that will determine your emotions. And those emotions continue to create your reality. Now, I am saying a heck of a lot, and I realize I am, I I could probably break down half these sentences to be their own podcast episode. And this is understanding Satan and Holy Spirit and Christ and how they play into the, to the daily process of living is easily going to be a class that we will do over time. But to the best of my ability, I want to encourage you to realize your mind is constantly filtering reality through this judgment system known as the Urim and the Thinim, the light and the perfecter. That you are taking everything in and you are weighing it with your identity of your I amness and your I am notness. And your I amness as the Holy Spirit is the thing that is creative, forward-moving, life-giving. That's why so many people love, if you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, I am. I will bet every dime I have that you think the Holy Spirit is the coolest person in the world in the sense that he has your sense of humor, he has, you know, he or she, it, ha, it, you know, it talks like you. You know why? Because it is you. It's God as you, in you, and it is your positive, creative identity. And Satan knows you so well. He knows how to get your goat and knows all the things that challenge you, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because it is you. It is the creative capacity of God in you in the negative. And it is where your identity still needs perfecting. It still needs blacksmithing. And it is still Christ. Now, if you're, if you're having a trouble with the idea that Christ is Satan and the Holy Spirit and that it is logic, just remember that Jesus became flesh, that spirit became matter, that righteousness put on sin, and that eternal life put on death, and it did all of this inside of Jesus. So Jesus' uh, apprehension of the I am not in his experience His very reality of being made flesh was step one of becoming not spirit. His very reality of being made sin, he didn't sin, he became sin. The very substance was the fullness of becoming not righteous, right? And not holy. So, and then same with death, that his, his putting on of death was the very substance 
of being not eternal. So, Jesus is the full embodiment of both the yin and the yang, the urim and the thinum, the white stone, the black stone, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and yes, the Holy Spirit and Satan. Okay. Now, the last thing that I that I want to try to leave with you in this journey of trying to figure out how to live by the Holy Spirit. I know some of you have a challenging relationship with the Holy Spirit because you've been given a lot of religious BS. You've been given a, either intentionally or unintentionally, you've kind of been taught that the Holy Spirit's really difficult to have a relationship with. You know, it's only for the special anointed ones. And you've also been taught that you have to be a Christian in order to have that. Well, here's the deal. The Bible says that the Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Okay. Now, there's a manifestation of that reality that I believe this age is going to bring to completion as, as the age of Pisces comes to an end. Every age that, we, that humanity has experienced has an early rain and a latter rain. And that in the beginning of... So let's go back to the age of Aries with Moses and Abraham, right? You have the Passover in Egypt that was... It was conditional and limited, meaning you had to do something in order to be forgiven at the Passover. Uh, the Jews had to spread blood on the doorpost in, as they were leaving Egypt from not being slaves anymore. So they had to do something, and it was only for the Jews. 2,000 years later, at the end of that age, you then have Jesus in the upper room with the disciples, and you have the last Passover where it's, no, it's, it's unconditional, and you don't got to do anything. Because God gave you forgiveness in the form of the cross, whether you asked for it or not, whether you believed it or not, God forgave you. Now, believing it certainly creates a reality in your own experience of living it, but you don't earn God's forgiveness. It's, you've already been forgiven. Okay, So, the, la- the first Passover was limited and conditional, and the last Passover was unlimited and unconditional, meaning it was a free gift given to everyone. So the age of Aries, the, you had the first fruits and then you had the harvest. You had the early rain and the latter rain. You had that, the first expression, which was minimal, and then the final expression in the upper room of Jesus that was, etern- that was, that was cosmic. It was universal. Well, the, coming, the last age of Pisces began, and I believe it follows the same pattern, where in the upper room 40 days later, you, on the day of Pentecost, you have, sorry, 50 days later, on, uh, you have the disciples in the upper room and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of the tongues of fire and the wind and everything. You had to be a Christian and you had to, and you had to believe that was limited and conditional. And I believe for 2,000 years, there's been a measure of if you don't believe in the Holy Spirit and you're not a quote-unquote Christian or you're not forgiven, then you won't be given the Holy Spirit. But here's what's been happening over the last, I don't know, I mean, it's debatable, 100, 200 years, maybe less, that humanity is beginning to realize we're all connected to God, which is the belief, by the way. Like whether you know the name of Jesus Christ or not, whether you've uttered the syllables of Jesus or Yeshua or whatever, if you believe that you and God are connected and you are one and you are righteous, and you, that is faith. That is absolutely everything the cross gave us. And that is the idea that whether or not you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, First John tells us that he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost and says, this is that which was spoken of by the prophet when he says that in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know what the word all in Greek uh, translates as? Yeah, it translates as all. You know, I didn't know if you know that. It, it, it doesn't mean conditional and limited. It means everyone. But because the Holy Spirit is an idea, it's the result of an idea 
It has taken 2,000 years for mankind to awaken to its divine birthright that we are forgiven, that we are connected to God, and therefore we are an expression of him. And whether or not you're Christian, Hindu, Muslim, whatever, if you believe you are the body of God and that God is, and your relationship to him is reconnected, i.e. you've been forgiven, what you get is the divine expression of God in you. You get the Holy Spirit. And I believe that we're com- the, at the latter reign of this age of Pentecost, we will see the fulfillment, we will see the harvest of every human, everybody, receiving, quote-unquote, the Holy Spirit. And that that receiving is the identity of, of God. And honestly, the only people saying that God is not in everyone are those who would say, what the Bible would call antichrists, because Christ is simply the definition of anointed, Christos. And so when you stand up and say, that person over there is not anointed, that person over there is not restored, is not forgiven, because their relationship with God is not restored, you are being the antichrist. You are literally standing up and saying that that person is not connected to God, that that person is not one with God. But the truth is, if you can stand up and be in, stand in forgiveness, you've got the Holy Spirit. And we're seeing that latter rain now. When this idea was planted 2,000 years ago, it was a few, it was 120 people in an upper room that realized, oh my gosh, I am a physical expression of God himself. I just watched Jesus do this for three and a half years, and now I get to do it. And that idea has spread like a virus through humanity. And now it's gone well beyond the borders of Christianity. There are so many other, other religions that didn't used to believe that we were an extension of God that now do. And there are religions that have believed that for a long time, which is where Jesus says, I have sheep of this pasture you know not of. All of this is the expression and the manifestation of what is going on in your mind. And the Holy Spirit I believe, is an absolutely vital, beautiful, and really easy thing to wrap our identity around and realize, wow, the Holy Spirit is God in me, and me as God. And God is a really big idea. God is this really massive thing known as consciousness, universal consciousness of all things. Yet in me, I am a single drop an individual expression of that identity and that relationship is known as the Holy Spirit or that relationship is known as Satan. Depends on what it is that you're creating. And so I'm hoping, although this is highly philosophical and you could perceive it as very complex, I'm hoping you really perceive it as, holy crap, the Holy Spirit just got a whole lot more simple, a whole lot more approachable, because you're, you are following that voice, you're following your identity, whether it's good or bad, you are following that identity every day, seamlessly. You're not trying, you are just doing it. It's that voice that, that it's that thing, even when you do things you don't, you wish you didn't have to, right? You know, we all wish, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Um, my wife is volunteering this evening and she was, she was saying, you know, it's, it's, Certain times it's just like, I don't like volunteering, right? It, because we know we're supposed to and everything like that, but um, at times it's just annoying and it's not in our schedule. But she's doing it, right? She is volunteering because she knows she's supposed to. And that is the I amness. That is the Holy Spirit leading her. And we all follow those voices all the time. We also follow the other one, Satan. We follow that one to the things we shouldn't do and we know we shouldn't do them and we and we know ourselves so well in those two voices and that is simply the creative capacity of God himself in you as an individual so i hope that makes it more approachable and i know there's a lot of you know a lot of how to's nuts and bolts that i could go into and and, and we will do a class at some point on satan the holy spirit and christ and how they all uh, play together in, in your mind. But if there's any part of you that thinks the Holy Spirit is this third party that's over there and he's this, he's this, I don't know, uh, this 
benevolent or non-benevolent, some people really don't like the Holy Spirit because they're afraid he's going to make them do things they don't want to do. And yet it, that idea that the Holy Spirit is other than you is the, at the core of that idea is the idea that you and God are not one. And that separation is the, is the foundation for the idea that the Holy Spirit is not you. So I'm going to leave you with that. Are you separate from God? Are you, is God other, the big, the great big other over there in the sky? Or are you God? Are you an individual expression of who and what God is in the, in the physical plane? And if so, is the Holy Spirit not also you? So, I hope this has been enlightening. I hope it's been challenging. I know uh, trying to articulate philosophical ideas of this nature is not always easy. So if you have any questions, reply on any of the posts. I mean, this, these episodes over time will be on YouTube and Facebook and on the website, uh, but the, they're always on the website first. So if you have some questions, hit, hit me up on the website in the comments section or uh, go onto the Facebook page and submit a question and, to the community and, and I'll certainly be one of the ones to answer it. And uh, don't forget about the Facebook private group. If you want to join it, send me a request. Uh, just just type in the request on the Facebook the public group, uh, the public page, and I'll send you an invite. And we are getting closer and closer to the new website and the new uh, classes and some of those things that we're trying to roll out. It just takes so much longer to build a website and create things than you think. And so uh, thank you for your patience, but we are continuing to move forward. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Guys, if anything is true, there's a way in which it is true. And it's no exception to think about the Holy Spirit and Satan and Jesus and you being God. There's a way in which that is true, people. And it's all throughout the Bible. But we have to reframe how we interpret reality. And I really, really believe in that reinterpreting of the Holy Spirit in you and as you is uh, a f- an amazing first step for your continued expression and joy of living. Thank you so much for your time, guys. I love you, and I'll see you on the next episode.